Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Ladies and gentlemen, I would ask that uh, if you could take your seats and uh, we'll get the uh, afternoon underway. My name is uh, Barry Latoon, and uh, what I wanted to do is just share with you some of the uh, wonderful experiences I get to experience on a, on a daily basis. Um, I, we have four students from Ecole Agnes Davidson School who are part of the uh, uh, school's choir program. They're here with their music instructor, Vaughn Atkinson, and uh, I'll introduce them, and then what they'll do is they'll lead us in O Canada. So I'd like to say hello and welcome to Alessia Bort- Bortolusi. Hannah Kershid, Christina Jones, and Kiyomi Kaufman. And they're going to lead us in O Canada, so I'd ask that you please rise. So, good afternoon, everyone, and uh, the uh, matter today is why public education funding should not be tied to the price of oil. The speaker this week is uh, Barry Latoon. Um, I uh, arrived at his place about 7.30 the other day, waiting for him, and uh, finally he did arrive, and uh, it was in the morning and uh, to uh, identify uh, what uh, issues he's been taking for us. So he serves now as a superintendent for Lethbridge School District, a position he has held since 2006. Uh, Lethbridge School District has 19 schools, uh, 8,700 students, 
So it's a tricky to have all uh, these uh, folks around, but we had uh, four of them there that uh, we're very happy to hear. And uh, so these are from preschool to grade 12. Barry has been a teacher and administrator in uh, Alberta throughout his career, previously in uh, Red Deer, White Court, and either Lamont or Lamont, I don't know which it is. Um, uh, he also taught courses for Red Deer College and City University. And uh, as a superintendent and past president, Barry Latoon is completing a four-year term uh, in the provincial CAS executive. So uh, I'd uh, like now to have uh, Barry come up and introduce himself, uh, all the uh, wonderful things that uh, he has. And uh, so, Barry, can you come and uh, let us hear you? Thank you very much, Ian. I really appreciate it. And it's, uh, it's a great opportunity uh, for me uh, to share some of the highlights of what's going on in our school district and with our students, and also some of the challenges that our school board, trust, uh, board of trustees um, do face. Uh, we do have one trustee here today, Brooke Cully. I appreciate that you're coming here. I, I, I ask that he not heckle me today, so that's uh, hopefully he's uh, not here to do that. I have... Um, been the superintendent for five and a half years in Lethbridge. I really, really feel that I'm blessed. Um, quite frankly, the, the school district in our community is uh, very well supported, and it is our role, uh, my role, to ensure that we continue to maintain that support. And part of that is to ensure that people in our community have an understanding of what goes on in the school district. Uh, frankly, we have uh, some uh, healthy competition with our sister board, Holy Spirit, but the reality is if you live in Lethbridge, your child is getting a good education because uh, we know that and, and appreciate that all of the schools in the city do provide a, a wonderful education for the students. Uh, we're also very, very fortunate in our community to have a, an excellent college and a, and a university that have exceptional reputations not only locally but across the country, and so there is real opportunities for people in Lethbridge and area to continue their education if they wish to do so in the local area. Uh, we do, um, I would share with you an opening comment that I feel that I owe uh, my successes in my lifetime to public education. Uh, I came from a, a family of uh, relatively humble means, and certainly had I been born in a different country where only the privileged would have a, a good education, I may not have had the opportunities that I have had, both at a K-12 and a post-secondary system. Uh, being a superintendent certainly has its challenges, um, I, I think I enjoy probably 99% of the days, but there's a, a quote from a retired superintendent from Calgary. His name is Brendan Crossgree, and he said that being a superintendent is like being a fire hydrant in the dog pound on occasion. So, <laughs> But uh, I would say that, that those days are very few and far between. I would share, though, that it does provide opportunities, and uh, you know, the, a common uh, phrase that you'll hear when people... Uh, talk to you say, is this a busy time of the year? And I've really come to the conclusion that if it's not July, it's a busy time of the year because there's always things going on. Last July, though, my wife and I, my wife Gail, did have an opportunity. Uh, we traveled and we took a vacation to Hawaii. And you're there, and, and I mean, it's a very pleasurable place. You're walking, you're sitting on the beach, and on occasion you get a little full of yourself. So I leaned over to Gail and I said, you know, in your wildest dreams, did you imagine that I would be a superintendent that would be sitting on a beach in Hawaii and she just looked at me with a sweet look and said, Barry, you weren't in my wildest dreams. So, <laughs> 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 uh, 
I want to take you uh, very quickly on uh, a bit of a backgrounder for my the main topic, which uh, is to share with you a little bit about funding of public education. But I also want to spend a little bit of time at the end just sharing some of the uh, successes of our school. The first public school board in Alberta, and, it, and that was actually not in Alberta, it was Northwest Territories at the time, was in, in 1881 in Edmonton. And they formed the, the first school board in, the, in our area. Uh, Lethbridge was shortly behind. And the first board meeting in Lethbridge, we actually have the minutes from that meeting, took place on March 25th, 1886. And so we have just celebrated our 125th year of providing education service to our community. And the first trustees, you can see the names there, but the one that probably struck me, I'm assuming that the William Stafford is probably the same Stafford for which Stafford Drive is uh, named. There was a strong belief by the individuals at the time across the area that public education provided a foundation for strong democracy and should be funded by local municipal taxation. The first school in Lethbridge was a cottage that was secured from a coal company, and the first teacher was a fellow by the name of John McLean, and his salary, it was, it's in the minutes, it was determined that he would be paid $50 a month to teach for the school year. Now, provincially, we have grown since those days, obviously. We have almost 600,000 students. Uh, there are 35,000 full-time equivalent teachers. There's actually about 40,000 people that are teaching, but some are on part-time contracts. And we have about 30,000 support staff, and this is everything from education assistants to bus drivers to caretakers to secretaries, um, specialist psychologists, people that work within the community. And the budget for education is staggering. It's $6 billion. It is the second largest provincial department after health in, the, in terms of uh, provincial spending. Specifically about Lethbridge School District, we have about 8,750 students. We have 460 teachers, 413 support staff, and we do have an annual budget of around $94 million. Now, to get a sense of where the funding of education is, I want to just go back a little bit. When school districts were formed, and you may have heard the term four-by-fours, what would happen, and in, in, those, in, you know, in the early days of our province, every quarter section of land would have a, a family, and many times there would be several children in that family. So if you had a four-mile by four-mile piece of land, those people in that area could form a school district. And so up in 1937, there were almost 4,000 school districts in Alberta. Now, it became apparent that it was better to amalgamate, and many of you might have memories of it. Now, in 1995, the government at the time decided that in order to increase efficiency, there would be regionalization. It didn't impact Lethbridge as such. Lethbridge stayed the same. But what it did is a number of smaller school jurisdictions were forced or uh, coerced, not coerced, I'm sorry, that's the wrong word, but were asked and uh, eventually um, mandated that they form regional boards. And so, again, uh, something like um, the county of, Red, uh, county of Lethbridge, uh, county of Vulcan formed Palliser School District. And so you had that going on across the province. And so in 1995, there were 62 school districts or divisions, and that's what we have now. There are 41 public boards, there are 16 separate boards, and five francophone boards. Now the funding of education pre-1995, education property tax, and anyone who pays municipal taxes knows that there's two portions. There's a municipal tax and an education tax on your tax bill. And the education property tax would go to the local school boards, and then this was subsidized by the provincial government. What occurred in 1995, 
that there became a concern of inequity across the a province. You had jurisdictions that might have a, a larger tax base that were able to generate more funds for their schools and then other areas that maybe were not able to do so. And I, I can actually speak uh, firsthand on that. I, at the time, was teaching in the county of Lamont, which is east of Edmonton. And we were adjacent to the county of Strathcona, which is directly east of Edmonton and which all the oil refineries were on their property. And so the county of Strathcona, typically their schools you know, had a lot of advantages because they had this large industrial tax base that they could draw from. And so there is logic to what occurred in 1995. The government at that time indicated that they would take the local municipal property tax for education and then they would fund education provincially. Now one of the difficulties that occurred is that that then left the entire control of funding for education in the hands of the provincial government. Uh, the local school boards are still elected locally. They're still there to govern. But one thing that some people don't understand, local school boards in Alberta do not have the ability to raise taxes. They do not have the ability to generate revenue. The local school boards are totally dependent upon the funds they receive from the provincial government in order to manage and run the school jurisdictions. There was a fiscal framework that was developed and to look at differences that might uh, be created in the schools. An example would be that if um, I'm in a fairly remote area, um, there's additional costs to things like if I have to run buses to remote areas to pick up students. And so the funding framework has been developed to try and adjust some of the funding because I guess the, the, the key phrase would be that equal funding would not necessarily be equitable funding. And so over time, this funding framework has been developed, and it has been tweaked back and forth over the years. Now, one of the things that has occurred, and most people wouldn't appreciate this, is that the mill rate for the education property tax has decreased every year for the past 17 years since 1995. Now, you get your municipal, you know, your tax for your home. And what has occurred is... Um, in terms of municipalities requiring funding in order to manage their operations. And so the, the province has indicated that we will take less of the total municipal tax for education and more of it will stay with the municipality to help run, whether it's the city, the town, or the village. And the reality is, though, that at a time, the property tax paid for the majority or more than half of the education costs. It is nowhere near that now. You know, in 2011 the amount of education property tax raised in the city of Lethbridge was a, a little over $23 million. Had the mill rate simply stayed the same for the past 17 years, if the 1995 mill rate was the same as it is to, uh, would be the same as it is now, we in fact would have had $73 million generated in education property tax towards the cost. Now, again, it's not significant in terms of the money that is being used to pay for education comes from the provincial government general finances or general revenues. But what it does do, and as sort of the topic today, when the you know, education is now dependent upon the fortunes of the provincial fiscal situation, less than 30% of education comes from the money that would be generated in education property tax municipal. I want to take you to, um, because a lot of this developed into a, a bit of a, I call it a bit of a crisis in the spring of this year. And in 2007, 
there was a five-year agreement struck between the Alberta government and the Alberta Teachers Association. And so it was designed to ensure that there would be some fixed uh, costs. But there is a unique circumstance in our province when it comes to funding and in terms of contracts for collective agreements. The province provides the local boards with all of the funding that they receive. But the local boards are the ones that have the contracts with their employees. And so what occurred in 2007 is the province negotiated provincially on a set agreement on salary increases for the next five years and then made an assurance to local school boards that those salary increases would be funded. And so there was a lot of pressure placed on, on local boards saying, we need you to sign the collective agreements with your teachers, and this was done in January of 2008. In the first year, there was a 3% increase for salary, and the government of Alberta assumed the unfunded pension liability for the Teachers Association. For the past four years, the salary increase was to be determined by a statistical number called the Alberta Average Weekly Earnings Index. Now, things in this agreement, quite frankly, got off on a really good start. In year two, the average weekly earning index was identified. Um, I believe it was around 3.5%. All of the grants that the school districts received were increased by 3.5%. And so really, for one of the first times in history, school boards had a sense that they were able to know what their fixed costs would be, and they knew what their increase in um, revenues would be, and they were able to do some planning. And I know as a local jurisdiction, for example, that was a year we recognized that we were getting a number of new Canadians into the Lethbridge area, and so we put in place a position in our district to support uh, teachers working with students for whom English was not their first language. But what has occurred, of course, after that second year of the five-year agreement is that the world fiscal situation kind of crumbled. And one of the problems is, and this is really where we are today, is that the province itself was in a funding shortfall. And so you had a circumstance where the local boards have contracts with their employees, with their teachers, saying this is the raise that you're going to get. This number would come out. But what started happening is that after year two, the funding to the districts started changing. Uh, some of the, the basic education grant was increased by the average weekly earnings index. But some of the grants were frozen. And so for year three and year four of this agreement, uh, grants such as uh, providing services for students with severe special needs has been frozen. Uh, operations and maintenance of facilities has been frozen. Now, if you envision for a moment that the people that work with students with severe special needs, a vast majority, I'd say 95% or more of the funds are for people, either teachers or education assistants. And so they are included in our cost increases, but there was no additional funds being provided for them. And so for those two years, our district, uh, which has long had a reputation and a, and a tradition that we use today's dollars for today's kids, we do not have a, a large reserve, but the feeling was that what we would do is use the, the small amount we'd have in reserves to maintain as many of those positions as we could. Now, you, all of you know that when you have a savings account, if you use that savings account to pay for ongoing costs, eventually you're going to run into a bit of a problem. It's not sustainable. And there was an understanding of this, but there was still a, a belief and a hope that things would improve and that there would be an opportunity to recoup some of those dollars and ensure that our staff remained at the same levels as they were, but also to provide the same supports for the students. 
And then we came into spring of 2011, and what occurred there is that the average weekly earning index was identified at 4.54%. The base student grant was increased by 4.54%. But not only were some grants frozen, in fact, a number of grants were either eliminated or reduced by 50%. And so you can imagine for a minute, you have one grant, you know, if you look at your total basket of resources, you have one grant that goes up, but if you have other grants that go down, you really don't have any more money than you had the year before, but you have collective agreement contracts that you have signed that mandate that you give a certain raise to your staff. And so that's where the really uh, difficult time last spring came about. Um, some of the grants that were reduced at that time, the grade four to six class size grant was uh, eliminated. Uh, a grant, uh, an enhanced uh, English as a second language grant was eliminated. Um, AC, which I'll speak about in a few minutes, was uh, reduced by 50%. And a stabilization grant, a grant that was come up with in order to support boards to ensure that when things um, changed in the fiscal framework, that boards were not um, hurt by some of the changes in terms of the dollars they received. This certainly had a very significant impact upon our district, and so we had no longer the reserves to compensate for it. And so, and because staffing accounts for about 80% of a school districts, not just Lethbridge, but across the province, the, only, the result was that we did have to reduce our teaching staff by 25 teaching positions and our support staff by 30 positions. And this was at a time when our actual student population was growing by about 1% or 2%. Now, in October, with the new premier, there was an introduction of some of the funds, reinstatement of the funds. But I think it's important to understand a couple things. The funds that were reinstated were reinstated not for the school year, but they were reinstated for the government fiscal year. And so they were reinstated from September to March 31st. So in essence, for, you know, for a, a dollar that was cut in the spring, that grant was reinstated, but it was only reinstated for seven-twelfths of the year. So we received about 58 cents of that dollar back. And so you know, we were very grateful. We were able to put a number of positions back into place but it's important to understand that the entire amount was not reinstated. And to this point, the minister has indicated he would like to see that continue on. But we do not know whether that is ongoing funding for next year. We will find out probably in about three weeks when the budget is announced. So moving forward, the school boards across the province are asking for adequate, stable, and predictable funding to be able to plan for the future and sort of a, a minimum would be considered sort of a three-year plan for funding. And I, I do appreciate and I accept Minister Lekazik's position that it's hard for him or the government to provide predictable funding unless they have predictable costs. And so there is ongoing negotiation right now to try and determine, see if there is an agreement that can be reached between the Teachers Association, the school boards, and the provincial government in order, and frankly, from a school board's position, if there could be an agreement and then if there would be a commitment to fund that agreement, that would allow us to ensure moving forward, and especially what we have asked is that if the agreement is a certain number, and I'll just use 1% or 2% as a salary increase, the government could then perhaps put in an additional 1% or 1.5% onto the grants, and this allows the districts some flexibility so that you're not just taking all the money that you get in and putting it into the salary. In terms of our proposal, I'd say that the horse is out of the barn. You know, we're not going to go back to the day when education is funded by municipal property tax. 
Um, you know what happens if a municipality doesn't raise taxes for three or four years and then they have to sort of do a, a significant increase. I mean, everyone just gets up in arms. Well, can you imagine what would happen? I mentioned that the education property tax has actually gone down for 17 consecutive years. If suddenly you said, well, we need to boost it up to get back where it was. So, you know, I mean, it would be a, a huge, huge impact and there would be no appetite, obviously, for that to occur. And so what we do hope is that there is a recognition, and I know there's been, you know, I'd say I'm cautiously optimistic because there's been a commitment by the minister. Uh, he has a mandate letter from the premier that there should be a long-term agreement struck and there should be some predictable funding ahead. The one thing that I would say that our district has proposed is that local jurisdictions, however, should have some access to the local property tax and to look at things, for example, some of the infrastructure issues. We know at this point in time, we, you know, we send in our request. We have a list. Uh, right now, we are in desperate need of an elementary school on the west side. Uh, we have several schools on the north side that uh, need a modernization. But we are really at the mercy of someone making a decision. Yes, you get money this year. Now, as a district, we've been fortunate. We have a new high school that opened up a year ago. Uh, we have a middle school that's been renovated. But if, in fact the local board could get access to a portion, not all of it, but just some of the local municipal property tax, they could make plans for things like renovations. They could go with the new education act that's being proposed. There will be an ability for school boards to go to a financial institution and, and borrow money. So if we had a stable source of income, we could go to the bank and say, we want to renovate Wilson Middle School. It's going to cost us $8 million. We know that we can pay this off over a 10-year mortgage because we have access to the stable form of, government, of funding. So that is the, sort of the request that we have made as a school jurisdiction, both to our colleagues in uh, other school boards and, and to the province. We also want a, a review of the funding framework. I mentioned that the funding framework tries to take into account differences. One of the real, it's a, it's a huge advantage, and I've spoken to uh, people from the university here today, but one of the huge advantages we have in Lethbridge is we do have a, an exceptional faculty of education at the University of Lethbridge. People come from all over Western Canada and, frankly, Canada to attend. One of the things that occurs is that a teacher is paid by the number of years of university training they get and also by the number of years of experience they get up to 10 years of experience. Because the university is here, many of our teachers, even after they finish their first degree, work towards a master's degree. And so in the province of Alberta, out of 62 jurisdictions, we have the highest average years of experience of uh, education, university training of any jurisdiction in the province, which is good. I mean, our students are receiving top-notch uh, education, but it is also, therefore, the most expensive. And we also have, when people come to Lethbridge, they want to stay here. So out of the 62 jurisdictions, our teachers have the highest number, average years of experience teaching uh, we are the number 10 in the province. And so with that, again, our costs are higher than other jurisdictions. And this is one of the things that we believe needs to be addressed in the funding framework. Teaching costs add up to 50% of every board's budget, yet there is no allowance for the fact that in one jurisdiction, an average teacher might cost $5,000 more than another. And so clearly, if your average teacher cost is less, then you can put in more resources or do other things with the funding that you receive. And we talked about the having access to the local tax base. 
I do want to spend five minutes, my last five minutes, just talking about some of the achievements and highlights within our district. Um, we have exceptional students in our district. Um, one thing that I would share with you, uh, and I do this openly, I think that the youth of today, we occasionally hear some of the negative stories, but quite frankly, the youth of today are more involved with their environment, more involved in volunteering, more involved in doing things for their community than I certainly was when I was their age. You know, we have young people going out shoveling. Um, some of the schools are in a, a neighborhood where there might be a lot of seniors. They go out, shovel the sidewalks. They invite them to lunches. You know, so our young people are amazing. And you, you had an example of four young people here. There is some great cooperation in our community. One of the things that struck me when I came to Lethbridge is exactly how well the different agencies work together. And we continue to do so. Uh, Alert is a combination of the various school jurisdictions. It's the police service, the justice, um, the Crown Prosecutor's Office, the um, health services, and children's services. And we get together about three or four times a year, and we plan activities. We have tremendous support from our regional police service. We have school liaison officers in our schools. They're not there to police. They're there to create a good link with the young people so that young people trust and, and know that they can go to police officers and if they have concerns. Um, a joint use agreement, which I'd say is second to none in the province. During the day, our children benefit from using the city's facilities. During the evening, our adults benefit by using our school facilities. And why wouldn't you? You know, these are expensive buildings. You don't want to have them shut down. We have breakfast and lunch programs, something that you need to understand. 5% of our student population might be hungry at any given time. On a daily basis, we feed in our schools through volunteers and, and donations Probably 500 students receive a breakfast and a lunch in our schools, and another three to 400 will receive a snack through the course of the day. Making Connections is a program in our elementary schools where, with families, we're supporting them, taking the families to medical appointments. Many of the new Canadians don't know how to access some of these supports, and so this is, again, a tremendous inter-community uh, relationship. AC stands for the Alberta Initiative for School Improvement. This has been something, I need to go back a step. Alberta is identified as the highest ranking education system in the English world on international exams. In fact, the, the Prime Minister of the UK came to Canada and mentioned that specifically. And there are tests that students from around the world take, and Alberta in itself, Canada does well, but Alberta does better than any other part of Canada. And we are, uh, you know, we have an exceptional education system. AC is funding that has been provided to allow uh, teachers to try new things, to have time to work with each other. A big goal in our district has been to have teachers from one school work with teachers in another school to share those ideas that are being used. If you have great math scores in, in the first school, why wouldn't you want those teachers to share what they're doing with every other elementary school in order to ensure that that happens across the district? We want to become the first choice for our resident families. And so the board took some, uh, I'd say, some bold steps this year. They eliminated all the fees, the district fees for grade 1 to 5. They eliminated the lunch supervision fee for elementary schools. Um, there has not been a fee for kindergarten programs for a number of years. Uh, they've added some pre-kindergarten programs. We recognize all the research would show that young people that are struggling, it is best to try and provide some supports from the age 3 to 5 because if you wait and if you don't get support, then you're sort of trying to do catch-up right from the time they get to school. We have kindergarten programs. Our district has been a leader in the area of promoting health and wellness. 
Uh, we have a healthy nutritional choices policy that has been uh, looked at by various other districts. We have a, a WHIP program, which stands for uh, Wellness and Health Incentive Program for our district employees. I share with you a personal success. One of our trustees, some of you may know or have heard of him, Keith Fowler. We were one of the uh, pilot districts for this with our um, benefit plan um, coordinator five years ago. And Keith took it upon himself to say, you know, I need to look at what I'm eating. I need to look at my activity. So Keith Fowler, as a trustee, over about an 18-month period, lost 220 pounds. And so he is now the model for us in terms of how well things are. We had another individual, a principal in our school, that attributes his life to this program because he got involved and became much more fit. And then in the second year of the program, uh, he suffered a very serious illness, and his doctors have basically said that had you not been in as good shape as you were, you may not have survived the illness. And so, and we are becoming increasingly diverse. Uh, we are looking, we have been identified as a district by the province as one of the districts, one of 13 in the province, that has had in practice working with all students. We don't segregate our students. We, we provide for them within our classrooms. And so we have been given some funding to look at how we can support other jurisdictions in the work that they do. Uh, we do have First Nations support. We acknowledge, as most of the province, that the success of our First Nations student has not been as good as it should be. We've put in place a, um, a lead teacher to work with all teachers so they can incorporate some of the understandings of the curriculum uh, in the context of the First Nations. We also have liaison workers that work with the families to ensure that the students are, are at school and, and are, are not hungry. Uh, we do have a number of new Canadians. We have in our district over 500 students now for whom English is not a first language. Uh, Lethbridge has been identified as one of three Canadian cities that will be taking refugees in from Nepal, Bhutanese refugees. And so this has put, obviously these young people are coming. In many cases, can you imagine going to school in a different strange culture, never mind not understanding the language you're learning in, but you've never had education even in your own language. You know, if you've lived in a refugee camp and you're now 10, 11 years old and now being placed in a school and being asked to learn. And so there is a tremendous amount of support that is required. And then we do support the students at risk as well. Community engagement, our board is out. Uh, this is a real focus. We have a town hall meeting scheduled for February 6th. It'll be in the paper. Any of you that want to come and share your ideas with our district, our board listens, they hear, and they're also out and about. Our board is exceptional in getting into the schools and, and finding out what it is that are issues. We have a school council, district school council. We have a district student advisory council. I have begun a blog. Uh, I'm, I'm not tremendous yet, but I've got a Twitter account. And, I, and our district is on Facebook because we recognize that these are now ways that we can get information out. We need to get the information out to our community because statistics would show that only about 20% of a community have children in school. And one of the reasons for me being here is to share with you because some of you may have grandchildren in school, some of you may have children in school, but many of you may not have a direct link with the school anymore. And I want to end by saying that the successes of our district are totally dependent upon and totally re a result of the commitment and the dedication of our staff to ensure that every child in our school is taught in a safe and caring atmosphere and is engaged in their learning. And we are very, very fortunate to have 
some of the best staff in the entire province working with us. So I use a statement, your children are our students, and together we can make a difference. Now I want to close uh, with just a quick story about optimism, because the reality is that I've shared some concerns, and, and, the, and I was asked before the dinner, you know, what will your board do? And my comment is, our board will do whatever it takes to ensure that the children get the best education possible. And they are a positive group. Our staff are a positive group. Our administrators are a positive group. And so I tell you a quick story, and this was told by, to me by, a, uh, I had the chance last year, the president of the College of Alberta School Superintendents, so I got to visit a lot of different organizations. And it was a meeting of the Catholic school trustees in Edmonton. And it was a father, Mike Deschamps, that told the story, so I feel okay about telling it to you. He said there were twin boys, t- uh, 10-year-old boys, and they were totally opposite. One was this eternal optimist, the other one was a pessimist. And so the researchers wanted to do a bit of research, so they took the first boy, who was a pessimist, and they put him in a room full of every imaginable toy a 10-year-old boy could want and said, you have one hour, do whatever you want. And they watched in amazement as this boy just sat there and did nothing, didn't open a gift, didn't open a toy, didn't do anything. Then they took the second boy and put him in a barn full of manure and gave him a fork and says, do whatever you want. And this boy was in there, and he's shoveling the stuff, and he's throwing all over the place, and he's just having a great old time. And so they asked the pessimist, well, what is, you know, why didn't you touch the toys? Oh, well, if I would have touched the toys, I would have probably broken it, and then my mom would have screamed at me, and I would have got into trouble, and I just, I just didn't, I felt it was better not to touch anything. And they asked the optimist, like, you know, you're playing in manure. Why are you so happy? I said, you guys can't fool me. Wherever there's poop, there's got to be a pony. <laughs> And so I I conclude, I I look forward to some questions perhaps later, but uh, from my perspective, I'm very, very proud to be the superintendent of Lethbridge School District. I'm blessed to work with a great board, and we have fantastic staff and just exceptional students who will be the leaders of our community and our country in the future. Thank you very much.